Okay, it's time for another three-point range. The podcast recommended by four out of five dentists. The podcast that's uh, powered by Lowenbrow. Tonight, let it be Lowenbrow. Um, just a little something I felt like doing. So this is Mike Beardy. Oh, my God. Joined by, oh, well, there's more. Uh, I'm joined by uh, Kimball Crosley and Tim Crothers, and the NCAA tournament is upon us and well into its incredible zaniness, and uh, we all uh, have regrets. So let's start with some of Kimball's regrets. Well, the way you said that, no, we're going to start with one of my successes because I did predict it oh. would be the crazy, crazy. Now, look, and again, I will say, I even said when I made my picks, the problem with making pool picks is you have to pick a team. You can't just go with like a theory like the Big Ten will not win it all or whatever. You can't and all the things. And it, look, it has been perhaps the craziest of all tournaments. And, you know, I'll go into why I think that is in a little bit. Um, yeah, and of course, yes, I picked a team and I was wrong, like a lot of people, Illinois, and I have major regrets from that, uh, about that. Um, but, you know, c'est la vie. Uh, and, and it's just amazing how many people's tournament died there and how easily um, it did die. But it also brings up another point, and there's so many points that we've all brought up on this podcast that I think have come into play over this weekend in the tournament. And And one was when I talked about uh, the committee and subjective seating, because I give you credit for what you brought up, even though you brought up Sister Jean and Loyola because somebody didn't die that day or that week, um, so you needed something to talk oh, about. I saw, but... I saw it coming. I just didn't pick it. <laughs> I said, pick well, it. Uh, yeah. little dot. No, but little dot. No, but 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 you know, and 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 I was too busy making fun of you know Loyola because. Uh, and Sister Jean, because I, I hate that, like, that's the reason. I mean, let's not talk about, you know, how well they play defense and then even examine that. And, like, is it because you're together for multiple years and you can really do the subtle little things that, like, a Virginia team can do on defense that makes up for a lot of um, a lack of uh, athleticism? Um, but, you know, the, the seating thing is so interesting because uh, I didn't realize till later that they were, uh, like, I know you guys look at Ken Palm and all those ratings, but apparently they were like the eighth seeded, eighth ranked team by Ken Palm overall in in, in the country. They were number ten on the net ten, rankings. I mentioned ten, that you ten, were just right. obsessed with Sister Jean and hatred, but I told you they were number ten. <laughs> yes, yes. Ken yeah, Palm even goes, higher. It goes back to the fact that I didn't go to Catholic school, but anyway. Um, so so there we have the classic case. Because you can't tell me that part of them bouncing them down to as low as an eighth seed for a team that some people thought was one of the top ten people, the, the metric show is one of the top ten teams in the country, and now eighth seed, you're one of the top 30, 32, 33, whatever, you know, depending on how you look at it. And they did it because they wanted that fun TV matchup of the small, you know, Illinois school versus the large Illinois school. And, and... And, you know, it's unfair to both of them, really. But in this case, it, it certainly ended up being unfair to Illinois. That said, that was one game where they obviously just beat them straight up. Okay? And we will talk about a lot of why this, a lot of this craziness has happened now. And I'm going to give you several reasons why I think this has been one of the craziest tournaments ever or just why the tournament is crazy. Um, and the first, of course, is that basketball 
it's not a one and done sport. It's not a one game should decide all sport. I mean, think about in you know how how silly it is. We we marvel at this tournament, how crazy it is every year. Well, it's 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 inevitable. If you took you know the NBA playoffs and said it's going to be one game playoff, you know who knows? The worst team in the NBA could beat the best team in the NBA in that one game, and then everyone's like, "Whoa, what a shocker!" You know, and if they did that on a on a normal night in the season, it wouldn't be that amazing. Um, and so, you know, that's that's the first reason this happens, and that that is inevitable. But I do think that the also part of that is just there's crazy fluke things that happen in basketball. And the one the game that just struck me so much for a lot of this was that Texas Abilene Christian game. And I don't know if you guys saw that one, but it felt like. Texas playing really good defense, and Abilene Christian threw in about six just awful bang shots, just awful, like just chuck it up and hope it goes in. And that's why, you know, basketball is not really a one-game-and-you're-out uh, sport because little things like the bounce of the ball can make such a difference. Uh, another another one is that this, and I think I alluded this in uh, our Substack in our newsletter. I, I made a reference to this weeks ago. And that is that basketball and, and pro and and uh, well pro level they've always said it's a make or miss league. College basketball, I think it's becoming more of that for a lot of reasons. We talk about the three pointer, and and how even now offense is being more designed to the three pointer. Well, you know it, it's a smart play, but it just opens it up to you know you have a rough night, and I think that's part of why you know it hasn't worked out so great. But why North Carolina and Dean Smith originally and, and, and Roy Williams, they've avoided first round losses, partly because they were an inside team. And so when they had that that mismatch, and they certainly didn't have one in their first round this time, but when they've had that 15-2, 16-1, 14-3 mismatch, they can just overpower the other teams. Well, Texas, even though they're bigger physically, couldn't overpower that team because they're not used to, to doing that. They're used to being the quicker team on the floor. Not not the bigger team on the floor, and and so it's funny when all of a sudden they found themselves as the, as the slower team, and that goes to my next point, which is that it's not just that the the non conference schedule that didn't happen meant that the big schools didn't play the little schools as much, and 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 sort of get used to playing that style. They were so used to playing their style, and the bigs didn't get used to playing the littles. And that same idea that just you know you didn't you were running every team's running this four round one offense and, or, and so they're all like relying on the three, whether they're have a height advantage or not. And I would think that maybe if they had suffered a loss or two, you know, to a, a upset or two before that, they might've said, okay, well, we also have to develop a bit of a post up game or run what's called a flex offense where you screen them and, and use your strength over them instead of just your quickness. And, and so that didn't happen. And overall the game has gotten away from posting up. So, so it's going to be like a little fluke here. Again, it's going to rely just on the three. And then I just think, again, the non-conference thing and the shorter season meant fewer games to really get your stuff together, right? So you didn't have that like mid-season game against that weird team that played this style defense or did this. And, and you're like, okay, we've seen this. We've handled this. I think teams, you saw them all of a sudden in the tournament game, you know, major conference teams that usually are like, okay, we've seen everything over our 30 games. All of a sudden, like panicking, and the game that comes to mind there is West Virginia looked like it had never faced a two-three zone before, 
And um, the one big guy from West Virginia, like he, he couldn't even play. He couldn't even play. He, he would catch the ball, turn around the foul line. And he was like, no one's guarding me. I can't drive anyone. What, do I have to shoot this? And it was like, just take me out of the game. I'm done. And he was done for the night. And he was the best athlete on the floor. Um, so I think that is a factor too. And then of course, you know, the last factor was COVID. And you cannot tell me that UVA, Virginia would have lost to that Ohio team if they hadn't been out for a week with COVID. <laughs> you know, look, Ohio beat them, whatever. But you just, there's just, I just, I just can't believe that thought. You know, just seeing, again, because UVA, when they lost a couple years ago, that was a really quick team they faced. When I watched Ohio the other night, I'm like, I don't know how this team got the best of UVA with with what they have. And I do know um, that the, the week off in basketball is a huge thing. And, and and I think that's why Kansas got just pummeled, you know, because they and they're, they're trailing in their first round game, too, um, because it's hard to pick up basketball that way. It's hard to just take a week off. And and we experienced that. I coach high school basketball and we had a COVID situation with our team. And it was interesting to not play touch a ball at all for a week and be, uh, you know, basically quarantined and then have to come out and play basketball. And one of the strangest things that happened was you really didn't have your conditioning. Like you could still shoot and dribble for the most part, but you know, the, the, the pace and conditioning of the game was just different. And I've never seen our team just so like dead at the end. And obviously college basketball is a high level, high intensity sport. And there's some other funny thoughts I have in the tournament, but I will open up to you guys to say your piece and think, uh, chime in whether you think those are valid or not valid points. Well, I'll jump in and say, we got, I need to give Charles Barkley some credit on the, on the Virginia conditioning aspect generally he's terrible on college basketball as you know pretty much feels like he hadn't watched the game all year but in general terms he called that before the game even happened that that was going to be the issue for them was a conditioning especially because there is a difference between even in quarantine pounding away on a on a treadmill or or a, a stairmaster or whatever for you know an hour or whatever and basketball quick movements and short area quickness and and then you know the the adrenaline aspect of it that they had not experienced for a week. Um, uh, so I, that's a, I think you made all pretty much valid points. Um, uh, I, I will say that uh, you know we didn't have bracket buster week this year, did we? Because of because of all the the COVID and the scheduling, and that's usually a time when I think it helps the committee sometimes as much as those of us filling out a bracket to get a glimpse of a team intersectional matchup in that i love that bracket buster week where you get to see a handful of teams and they can, you can really sit down and study them if you're if you're so inclined whereas this year some of these teams you might have heard roughly about them or if you listen to this podcast you certainly heard a little bit about the experience of of uh, loyola chicago and and uh and i did drop crutwig i'll probably mispronounce it but crutwig uh boy that that guy the, the name that um uh, really jumped out in my mind in terms of a, a lefty who had surprising quickness. Do you remember John Pannon at Villanova way back in the 80s? He played, sure. They played Carolina. Yeah. Well, it sticks with me because he was a bear-shaped man, and he was a lefty, and he could just maneuver and pivot and pivot and pivot, and he next thing you know, he had an open layup. And he was a, a handful for Carolina in the final eight one year in early 80s. And this guy, the only reason – 
correct me if I'm wrong, Coach, but the only reason that uh, that well, first of all, Porter Moser outcoached Brad Underwood terribly, just in every which way. But the big thing was that blitzing of the high ball screen that uh, Io Desumu, that's what he lived on all year, and he was such a good decision maker. And those two guys ran at him, and one of them was Crudwick, and they only did it because consistently he could recover. He was quicker in recovery going backwards than Kofi Coburn was going forward, and it happened over and over. They could not get the ball. To, I mean, and, and Io had to lose a lot of money if you're really going to go by that, that game. He had to lose a number of draft slots in that game because he's a really impressive player had a wonderful career he's coming out you have to think and he just blinked and that's why illinois is out and brad underwood blinked and that was not good at all there was no adjustment um in that game but uh, i did have abilene i want to remind you guys i did have i said on this show i had abilene christian never saw him all year just not really a shock a smart tournament believer i think he sold his soul i guess for that one you <laughs> run and i you know i told you i have a little money on syracuse to go to the final four very little money and uh at 25 to 1 odds and um that two three zone that's the last thing i'll say but we shouldn't be surprised when you see it with very little preparation and you're freaked out by it whereas during the acc season when you see it year after year or back when it was the biggies um teams could they were used to it they would they would have a plenty of time to prepare it and they were they had seen it and they year after year they'd know where the soft spots were and Syracuse's defense was actually its weak point this year it was actually it's an offensive first team but you get to this stage and that two three does uh, lead to confusion I'm done well, Tim I, I've been I've been quiet to this point because I just feel like I I mean I am just in awe of the basketball knowledge that is being oh, yeah. conveyed from the two of you, I mean, it just—I I, I mean, I don't know—I don't know what to say. I mean, Kimball, I've been—I've been typing furiously bullet <laughs> points to remind myself of, of all this, of all these amazing strokes of genius that you passed along. And then, Mike, you just stepped right in there and just bang one after another, genius, genius, X's and O's, breaking it down. It all just brings up one question in my mind: Why did both of your brackets suck ass? Uh, wait, I'm ahead of two of both of you in, in the brackets right now. I have more points. I'm ahead of both of you. You're third, Tim. Now, you do have Gonzaga, and we <laughs> do not. Do. So let's, that's the catch-up factor. But you are third right now. In fact, you're at the bottom of my pool. So be careful. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not done yet, though, are we? <laughs> we're not done yet. No, uh, and that's and that'll be fun to see what happens next. Yep. I, yeah, I think we're only about half done, so let's we won't we won't make any any grand uh, proclamations. But yeah, it just it makes me wonder where why weren't you using this brilliant knowledge to make better brackets? I mean, it, it's so much. There's so much so much genius that you've passed along. What happened? <laughs> what happened is you you can't you can't watch every team in the country and also as i tried to explain you can't foresee all the craziness if you tell me alan cushion <laughs> no that was such a fluke like and, and you know what else was a fluke like that was such a poorly officiated game i swear alan cushion was like when you're when you're in a jam and you're and you're near the rim and you have nothing jump into your opponent try and get a foul 
and and it was like the refs would not call. And meanwhile, they they they, they that's when they banked in like four shots just with that tactic. It was just an insane. And that and like that last foul call was ludicrous. But yeah, I, I don't it, I don't know who would have had yeah. that game uh, ref wise. But that's another aspect of COVID that the handful of refs, including Ted Valentine, who were sent home on the first day because they went out to dinner and came back and all tested positive the first day in Indianapolis. Um, and that, those are some, if you add up all the experience in that crew, it was probably a couple hundred years worth of experience or 150 years. Uh, Valentine alone, you know, a, a proven commodity. They would have had a game every day. They would have had one game every day. So in theory, some game was, was officiated, if not poorly, then less well. Than it might have otherwise, if if not for COVID. That's uh, it, I don't know how you, you cannot quantify it, but that's an aspect. Um, that's uh, that's point number one. I Man, think. there are we'll a lot of excuses. excuses. Well, excuses, excuses, excuses. No, it's not an on. excuse. That's just the facts, man. All right, now. Kimball uh, is bitterly telling us about people throwing balls off the you know throwing balls off the backboard. I mean, that is that that's what happens. That's that's why 15s beat twos, 14s beat threes. We all know that. Right, and my point is, it's it's not foreseeable. Like again, it's not foreseeable that that could happen. Like you can only say like that could be a good matchup, but like that is not foreseeable. But that's and that's what I'm saying. Like it's like saying you should guess that coin flip correctly. You know, bad job. If you know so much about flipping a coin, how could you not be right on that? I would say the biggest upset to me was that there was just one game uncontested due to COVID so far. So far. Yeah. That would be, that's mm-hmm. the surprise because we've talked about it. We expected these guys. I mean, there was not a true, it's not a true bubble. They're going outside, taking pictures. They're walking around a little bit. You know, that opens the door for any number of interactions that could lead to some sort of illness. There's more fans there than I expected. I mean, the fans are milling about in the, in the downtown. I'm not there, but uh, I've seen reference to, uh, it's almost, uh, you know, it's 20% capacity, but then so a lot of people just came to town just for the environment. So, if players are at all going to be walking around and, and milling at all and taking any selfies with anybody, I can't imagine any team would allow it, but you know, it's happening. Um, we saw what the Carolina guys did during the, during the year, just after one regular season went over Duke. All right. So that's, that's point number one. Let's get to Tim's point. Uh, his thoughts uh, as he rides the Gonzaga train uh, as far as it'll go. <laughs> Well, as, as, as you know, there's nothing I enjoy more than, than cracking on both of you for your crappy picks. But I have to admit, as we've already, we've already acknowledged, that mine were, were no better. And it makes me think that, uh, as I've, as I've you know, known for many years now, that, that uh, expertise and experience that you all, you all have displayed means absolutely nothing when you fill out an NCAA bracket. I mean, if there's, no, if, if there's been ample evidence of that uh i'll i'll bring to to light a few uh bits of it from the real world here Uh, i run a bracket pool during my spring sports writing class here at unc every year and after checking the results after the first first two rounds i asked the the uh the student who was leading exactly how many brackets she had filled out in her in her lifetime before this one and she said predictably zero Mm-hmm. Zero brackets. Uh, this was the first bracket she has ever filled out, uh, in, and this is also uh, she is also the clear leader in our uh, class pool. Second place is a student uh, who 
hails from Texas and who for fun apparently picked an all Lone Star State Final Four. <laughs> and that that uh, may end up working out for him. I mean, Baylor's still alive. Uh, and third is in, in my class pool is I, I allow my children to enter the pool. And uh, so third is my 14-year-old daughter, Sawyer, who has watched approximately 12 minutes of college basketball this season, but swears that she, quote, did her research, unquote. So really, I guess that's, that's really where, where we're, falling, we're falling short. We're, we're watching basketball too much and not doing our research, whatever that is. Um, but I, my favorite, my favorite uh, bit of, of lack of expertise needed has to be, and I don't know whether you guys saw this, but, but uh, I was highly amused is the, uh, the, the guy who filled out what he calls the dog bracket. Did you guys hear about the dog bracket? No. <laughs> In the dog bracket, he picked teams whose mascots are dogs. Uh, or, you know, if short of a dog mascot, another animal, always over non-canines or humans, or, you know, superheroes or whatever, whatever the mascot might be, mascot might be. And the dog bracket was among the final 1,039 perfect brackets um, in the in the ESPN wow. uh, bracketology. It survived unscathed through most of, of the opening day. Um, so, uh, you know, I, if that uh, that pretty much says it all. I mean, I, I I freely admit that as as you've mentioned, my bracket is not not very clean. In fact, as I basically predicted in our last podcast. I face planted on the very first game of the tournament, and I am currently 19th out of 22 brackets in my class. And I also entered a survivor pool, which you guys have probably done at some point in your lives. But for those who don't know, you pick a team each day that uh, you believe will, will survive, but you're only allowed to pick that team once, so you are somewhat limited. But uh, So for the first round games, uh, I picked Tennessee on day one and Texas on day two. So pathetically, I managed to die twice in two days in the survivor pool. That's that's the worst showing uh, I think I've ever had. So next year, I'm thinking I might just save a bunch of time, clearly wasted on watching college basketball, and and just try the dog thing. I'm, I'm, that's probably what I'm going with. I mean, I think back to it, <laughs> and I think if if only I had listened to myself. And, you know, we all say that, but if only I had listened to myself, we know that for weeks now I've been touting the number 11 seeds, the power of the number 11 seeds. And sure enough, here we are with both Syracuse and uh, UCLA, UCLA in, the, in, in the Sweet 16. And, of course, neither of them were in my bracket. Um, so it's just a matter of, you know, when we come up with these great theories, we just have to follow it. I mean, the only shred of dignity that I still have left, as we've discussed, is that I did pick Gonzaga to win it all. And I know that uh, both of you picked the whimpering Illini. Um, so I, I, I still feel pretty good about winning the three-point range pool. And uh, at, <laughs> least I've, at least I've got that. Two eights. Yeah. Two eights are still alive as well, which is interesting, right? Because they have not tough. And... Um, you know, I've run a little pool for years, and 20, 30 years maybe, uh, and 
and never have I had a total fluke person win. Um, and I try and get someone like my daughters who, like your daughter, do not watch college basketball. And uh, this year I did get my 12-year-old to fill out a bracket. And uh, she, I did no coaching. She did not. In fact, uh, halfway through, she, I had to tell her it was a basketball thing, not a baseball thing. <laughs> and she was like, oh, I thought it was baseball. You're a baseball scout. I'm like, yeah, but this is basketball. And, and so, you know, she picked Drexel to beat Illinois first round. Um, and I was like, wow, she's really in trouble. But then as the days went on, I was like, she also picked Syracuse to win the whole thing. <laughs> and this is, the, this is the bracket that awards, you know, points times seed. And so it's just like, she might become the first fluke winner of this thing because, I mean, despite her pick of Drexel and despite some other just crazy you know, things. She she has Syracuse uh, winning it all against and, and going and Baylor going to the semis. So somehow she got that. Um, and of course, some of the you know she was just writing down the strangest things on her bracket, like indecipherable versions of of names. Um, I think she thought that the Wichita Drake entry, the playing game, was a school. Um, <laughs> what one school? Wichita State Drake was Witch Drake or something like that. So yeah, maybe you're right. No, I, I, I guess you know, my point being, not, and this is not breaking news in any way, but, but that we could watch every single game, that's played in a season, and be as smart as we could possibly think we can be, and then have all of that background X and O genius stuff that you guys just were throwing out earlier in the podcast, and we can still get smoked by someone who's never filled, a, filled out a bracket before or by a dog. Right, and, and but we also take heart in that, right? Like, that is interesting because you say that because, you know, we might watch a little college basketball and think we know some stuff, but we certainly don't watch as much as the people on the TV and the Jay Bellises that Mike follows. And and Jay Bellis is great. He, he You know, he, he really seems to know his stuff, but, like, he gets fooled all the time by this stuff. And it is funny when you watch a game and you go like, you know, like, where was the expert telling me this? And you want to hear the expert say like, okay, here's what I didn't see could possibly happen that's happening right now. Because um, what they usually say, they say like, oh, watch out for this team seed. And they name one player off that team. Like, what does that do? What does that tell you? You know, um, and and it's just like, just because you can name and that, but they, you know, it's funny that I don't even know if they can do what you're saying. So maybe you're right. I'd, I'd like to blame uh, some of those experts. I think it's healthy. <laughs> it feels better for me. I'll just say this. I don't think I mentioned uh, last time that I had that one shining moment of my own where I started 26 and 0 and then it all went downhill. On the flip side, um, Sunday was a hard day for me because I produced zero Sweet 16 teams out of those eight games. I, none of, none of wow. I had none of them. I, and I started with Illinois losing and me questioning all the nuns who ever taught me and you know just, just cursing their memories. And it was very difficult um, to go 0 and 8 in terms of producing a, a Sweet 16 team. Now, I came back a little bit. There was some chalk last night and, and uh, yesterday, and I had five of those. That felt more like it. I sh you know, you're not going to win this thing if you don't get uh, 12 of the Sweet 16, I feel like. So, it, you know, five, that's not very good. Um, and so the people I want to blame, I want to blame Seth yeah, Davis. You know, I, I love Seth Davis. known him forever since he was at Duke. And, he's, and I'm 
I've always learned something whenever he talks college basketball. He was going on and on about the Gauchos at Selection Sunday. <laughs> oh, the Gauchos. Watch out for the Gauchos. And so I put the freaking Gauchos into the Sweet 16, and Creighton handled them. Creighton, and the whole thing about Creighton being a cesspool of, uh, you know, uh, hatred because of the coach with one word. <laughs> and that, that where, you know, where, where did that go? The whole plantation theory, that went away. So the Gauchos are done, and, and I had them in there. And then I have to blame Jay Billis a little bit, um, you know, for the Illinois love, the Big Ten love. And he had he had Ohio State in the Final Four as well. And um, not once did I hear him, you know, I didn't hear every word he spoke, but I never heard him uh, question the Big Ten supremacy overall. So I wrote it. I wrote that Big Ten thing, and it, you know, it turned out to be the exact opposite. Just <laughs> even, even if Michigan wins it, even if Michigan wins it all, this was a disastrous Big Ten appearance. I do remember Jay Billis saying uh, on a on a morning show uh, that I watched uh, uh, on YouTube, Winthrop, watch out for Winthrop. I really, I mean, I'm certain Winthrop's <laughs> going to beat Villanova. How did that work out? So you know, and all the talk about the Villanova point guard. Oh, how could how could they pod Jay Wright just helpless in the face of losing his <laughs> point guard? And you know, here they are. They're still going. So yes, I, the unpredictability uh, and all the things we've said here, but it. It actually feels better for me a little bit to think about all the expertise well beyond ours that has access to him. Jay Bell's can pick up the phone, call anybody he wants, and, and any coach in the country, and say, you know, is that you played that team? Is that team legit? Who should I watch out for? All that. He does his research, and, and I followed him. And I, I did follow him on Alabama. I'm feeling good about that. I'm feeling good about Alabama, but it doesn't mean anything. I think Alabama is going to beat Gonzaga in the Final Four. All right. That's uh, <laughs> wait a minute. I, yeah. I got to find out one thing before we go on. I didn't pick that, but I were feel you that celebrated it? Were you celebrated at all when, when you went twenty six and zero? Because my my I told my son about this, and he he became obsessed with it. And we were following with every day how many people you know were were still will still had the perfect bracket. And in this particular tournament, if you had gone twenty six and zero, you would have been like among the last. Right. Three or four or five perfect brackets in the in the world if you were 26 and 0. Now this may have been a little maybe yours was chalkier, I don't know. It was a chalky year and I feel like it was it was 17 or 18. I'd have to go I know I have this. I know I have my bracket, but uh, you know, I should have laminated it. But it did collapse quickly. I mean, after the first 26, you know, I lost a couple still, that day. I, it was a wonderful were, feeling. I was luxuriating in it. The last 17 you're saying you were you think you were among the last 17 perfect brackets in the world that year i don't know i just know case. i was ask lavelle neal oh, uh, of the you were just saying i i was 26 and oh I, I and then it uh, and then it collapsed uh i was i was and there's documentation and it wasn't just me in a hovel i was entered in multiple tournaments and it's I, and, i'm not questioning you yeah. but do you but 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 i mean that's what i'm telling you if yeah. you're 26 and 0, this year you would have been like yes three out of 20 million you would have been three I, one of the three perfect brackets out of 20 million in my and in my uh it? yeah to to dampen my my uh, parade a little bit uh I, I that was a fairly chalky early going but i think you know there might have, let's say there were five upsets out of those first 26 games and i just happened to have all five it was one of those it wasn't like this i mean i think i had to have a 12 or a 13 or something um, the 12s usually do it I must have had two 12s. I'll get more details for you at a later show. So this is uh, <laughs> three-point three range, and uh, 
we're just going all in on the NCAA tournament because that's the best stuff going on right now. And I will have withdrawal. I think we will all have withdrawal after this thing is over with, even though our brackets are bad. And you can. I'm you having can, withdrawal uh, today just because there's no basketball today. Right. Man, this is brutal. Yeah. Yep. 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 So I have an antidote for that in a bit. But first, I just want to guide everyone to the Substack that Kimball already teased. Uh, there's content on the on the three point range Substack. There's a three point range Facebook page. There's uh, this podcast can be found on Stitcher and uh, Spotify and Google Podcasts and Anchor.fm and spread the word because we have fun here and we hope you have fun too listening to us. Uh, this is Three Point Range, powered by MySpace. So um, the uh, the third point that I want to talk about, and I did teased it earlier, I kind of semi-used it earlier, but imagine if my idea about just copying the NFL reseeding by making, uh, get just get through this first weekend, and then now it's all jumbled, you know, certain, uh, the Midwest uh, is just blowing out of the water. So here's what it would look like if you reseeded and put the top seed remaining against the lowest seed remaining in each bracket, and I jotted it all down, and it'd all be different. It would all be different, and you'd have time to do it. There's no travel. They don't have to go back and pretend to go to class and then come back and you know pretend to meet with tutors. They're just sitting there practicing each day, four days off, five days for some of them, and then they get to play again not till Saturday. I mean, that's that's how weird it is. So it'd be in the West, it'd be Gonzaga, Oregon, and Creighton, USC. That's one, seven, five, six. So instead of the two Pac-12s going at it, uh, it'd be they'd be split up. In the East, it would be Michigan, number one, against UCLA, number 11. And it would be Alabama, two, Florida State, four. Why are you only reseeding by region? Reseeding by region. Why don't you, why don't you reseed by region. the whole thing? No, that's too much. Well, you, you could have done that this one time. You, this one time, that's right. a lot more jotting. So this, let me complete this. So then you tell me if these are tastier <laughs> matchups or, or fair, or we've talked about seeding bracket, uh, what do you call it, integrity. Is this more, is this, does this show more integrity? Because, you know, the number one seed should be rewarded. Uh, number one, Baylor would face Oral Roberts, number 15. Um, and number three, Arkansas would face number five, Villanova, fifth seed of Villanova in the south. And then in the Midwest, crazy land. It would be number two, Houston, against number 12, Oregon State. And number eight, Loyola, against number 11, Syracuse. So how would you guys feel if we had a reseeding of by, by region? How, does, how do those strike you? Uh, I do think that's an interesting uh, improvement. And I guess you're, you're thinking in non-COVID years, or maybe they, they yes. do it by region as opposed to overall. Because I think, yeah, why not? Reseed overall and really that's too much that's too much to, to comprehend well, but but no it, it it i mean it it does make some sense i i do wonder like part of a tournament is like you know it's funny you you seed but like why you especially when it's subjective why you keep giving all these benefits to the top seed <laughs> like like why do you keep handing them uh breaks theoretically um so i think someone might argue like well, you're just reinforcing the chance of that team winning. It's not like in the NFL where you know you went uh, 14 and two and and you kind of played a relatively balanced schedule. I, we all know in college basketball you can go 36 and 0 and or, well 28 and 0 and, and you're not in your regular season and win and be a top seed and you play nobody. So it's it you know 
that's different. Go ahead, Tim. I, I hate that idea. Why? Uh, I I just I I think part of the fun is the bracket itself, the integrity of the bracket, keeping the bracket as it, as it stands. I think about adapting it to other sports. I mean, would you do that for Wimbledon if the if the, if the top you know the number two seed whatever is knocked out early? Would you say, oh, let's reseed the let's reseed the Wimbledon bracket, or let's reseed the NBA playoffs, or let's reseed? Well, the they talk about NHL it in the NBA. Playoffs. They talk about doing it in the NBA, and the NFL has done it. So I don't like it for that reason either. I think it's the fun of oh, whoa, somebody just got knocked out. All right, what does that mean? Not I, I do agree with Kimball. I don't think you just keep rewarding the the uh, the number one seed over and over again. I think you you know the fun part is oh that now the now the road to the final four for that team just got. Well, who's the weakest remaining team? Who's the weakest remaining who, team? Who knows anymore? Oral, <laughs> Oral Roberts, most likely. Yes. Right? Number yes. So how is it Advocate. fair that Oral Roberts gets to play Arkansas or Arkansas gets to play Oral Roberts just because they happen to be on that side of the bracket? Well, I'll say, one, I'll, I'll say in one way it's fair. If you agree that it's you know, theoretically subjective that a team is like, why are we a 15 seed? Like we think we're better than everybody or, you know, and sometimes these 15 seeds did go 26 and two, they just played nobody. And then like, well, we still think you stink. But one thing about seeding is if you beat a seed, you inherit their seed. So if you, if you're an eight seed and beat a one seed, you now become the top seed in that region. You take you move into their slot. And I think that's something about tournament seeding and the way it happens. And, and that feels more uh, normal in, in, in sports like tennis where, yeah, you, you beat the top seed and you, be, you just inherited his seed. Right. And you deserve that. That's what you should, you should be rewarded for that. You shouldn't just be, Oh, well you still, you're still, you're still go the, play another one. Go play another number one. Yeah. Now you got to play. Now you got to play the next best person. I mean, you earned that. You've got, that's, that's your that's your reward for doing that, uh, and yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like that idea at all. I think it's it's uh, you, you should be rewarded for, for that, and I'm guessing that uh, in, it also throws this whole the argument that Loyola was so far underseeded. Uh, I think would would also be an issue with all of this, as you would, you know, you the I don't think anybody now thinks that Loyola was was properly seated. So, um, you know, they are, they are as good as, as they are. We now know that they're pretty good. Um, they're going they're back to the final four, baby. Sister there's there's and, a good, there's a good chance of it. And they, but part of that is because they, they are now going on the road, on the road to the, from as the number one seed in that bracket, essentially. So that they earn that good for them. Yeah, no, it's a great team to watch. And if they do it, it'll feel a little bit like the Butler back-to-back Final Fours of 2010-2011. You didn't, you didn't expect the, the repeat, but even though there's a couple years in between, that's what it feels like here for Loyola. It's, uh, those guys are freshmen, uh, Williamson and, and Krutwig, uh, when they first went. So good for them. No, Porter Moser's a heck of a coach. I can't, uh, if he stays there, I have to question his sanity. This is, he's got... He's got to go do it. Um, but that's a question for another one because I think they're going to keep playing. Well, uh, thank you, gentlemen. This was uh, Three Point Range. Again, uh, we invite you to check out the Substack. We invite you to check out Facebook and find us out there in, in uh, podcast land. We thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. 
And uh, we'll see you next week uh, when the final four has been set. I think we'll do the show once the final four has been set, and we'll have some thoughts. Uh, for Kimball Crosley, for Tim Crothers, I'm Mike Berardino. Thanks for listening.